Mark, more than Matthew, Luke, or John, places greater emphasis on the unwritten cult. The significance of the unwritten cult is an, an animal that is devoted to a sacred purpose. Numbers 19.2 and Deuteronomy 21.3 require that animals have never bore a yoke, can only be used for sacred service. So this was remarkable in itself. Beloved, remember, this cult had not been prearranged by Jesus or anybody. Nobody went into the village ahead of time and said, tie your cult up, a pure, undriven, unridden, unblemished cult. Tie it up and leave it there for Jesus. Jesus had the foresight to know that that lamb was going to be, that cult was going to be there. He had the foresight to know what to tell the boys so that are going to go get the cult. He had the foresight to know that the owners were going to let the cult go. Verse 2 told Jesus, the two disciples, to go into its city and take a cult. One that does not belong to either one of them or to Jesus. In this day, that's stealing. Stealing was stonable. You could be put to death by stone, being hung, stoned to death. But the two men went. They said, okay, what do we say? But they still went. They didn't say, you know, wait a minute here. Um, I don't think I want to go steal a colt. They just did as they were told. They did because they knew who Jesus was. They knew that if he said it, to do it. They willingly heard and followed exactly what they had been directed to do. The disciples made a choice to follow Jesus' command to go and do. The owner, or responsible person, we're assuming it's the owner of the colt, then had to let his colt be used. Verses 3 and 4 talk about as they walked into the city, they found the unridden colt tied up exactly as Jesus had told them. And then when they were confronted by the people, they responded exactly, exactly how Jesus had directed them. Beloved, don't think for a minute that I'm saying they stole. He didn't tell them to go steal the colt. He knew in advance that the colt would be there, that the men would go, and that the owner would let him go. And he said exactly what Jesus had said. The Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. The people who questioned them now gave permission for the two men to take off with the colt. In verses 7 and 8, they talk about the, when they brought the colt back to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. That's where we come with Palm Sunday. Because this was a celebration. People started taking off their coats, collecting palm branches, and waving them just as the kids waved them, and you guys waved them this morning. We're celebrating. But think about this. This donkey had been unridden, untamed. He was a baby. He was a colt. How would you feel as a colt that's never been around this conglomeration of people, people waving and shouting and yelling and screaming, and then to have this new guy sitting on your back? I don't think I'd be real comfortable. Did I just turn myself off? No. 
I don't think I'd be calm. The cult stayed calm. Here's people throwing branches at him, throwing coats at him, people sitting on him. But he calmly walks on because he was predestined for this. Jesus had already arranged this. Jesus knew that this was coming. And the cult acted accordingly. Now, most, most kings, when they're returning from battle or have this large celebration of processional, they ride in on their chariots or their horses. That's a battle cry. That's a, a cry of war. But here, Jesus comes in on a cult. He's celebrating, but he's coming in on a cult. The king of kings is coming in on this lowly, lowly cult. Donkey cults were considered symbols of peace, not of war. Chariots were war. All those things were war celebrations. This was a symbol of peace. People were throwing their coats down. People were waving palm branches out of respect for Jesus. Their people are making an offering of support and treating him like a king returning from battle. But yet he's riding on a colt, a donkey colt. Donkeys were about peace. Chariots and horses and and those were about war. When you rode a donkey, it symbolized peace. Matthew 21, 4 through 5 says, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That's a powerful statement. He's not coming in as a warrior. He's not coming in going, oh, look at me. He's coming in humble. He's coming in as a servant. That's a powerful statement. But they missed the symbolism. The crowd expected him to lead a rebellion against Rome. And when he did not, the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna quickly became crucify him. So here's Jesus sitting on the back of an unbroken donkey. He's not bucked off. He's not being traipsed around. The donkey didn't take off in in fear and terror. Donkey's calmly walking on. You all know how I love to go to Disney. I absolutely love Disney. There's an excitement in the air. Everyone gets swept up in the frenzy, the joy, the celebrations, the whole atmosphere. But the best part is the parades. I love to watch the parades. There's people, people just clamor to get them. They push one another aside. They're screaming and they're shouting and they're yelling and they're so excited. They love to be a part of the parade. You got people walking in front of the parades, people walking behind the parades, and the poor people at Disney are going, off the streets, guys, off the streets. But people clamor to get there. People push their way in. I've seen people throwing confetti. They love to go to the parades. Parades are a celebration. Parades are fun. This parade was fun. For the time. But when people don't get what they want, what happens? They start pushing and shoving and getting angry and yelling things. Not nice. People feed off of each other. They do it at Disney. They did it here. In verses 9 and 10, it talks about how Jesus approached Jerusalem. The crowd's excitement intensified. 
Many of the people spread their coats and their cloaks on the roads. Others spread the leafy palm branches that they had. Spreading coats is a sign of submission to a leader. If you throw something down in front of them for them to walk on, you're giving them authority. You're giving them accolades. You're telling them that they have power, they have prestige, they have honor. Superficially and momentarily, at least, the crowd was acknowledging that Jesus was king. The leafy palm trees, as in John 12, 13, which other crowds had cut from the fields, symbolized joy and victory. It was a joyful time. It was a celebration. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus entered into the temple in Jerusalem in Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and Matthew and Luke. I'll get it right. Jesus cleanses the temple immediately after entering Jerusalem. In John, he does it much earlier. However, in Mark, he simply goes to the temple to look around and then goes to Bethany with his disciples for the night. We must expect them to be very tired. They've just walked from Jericho, as exampled in Mark 10, 46. It's that distance of over 20 miles. Most of it's uphill. The terrain was not easy. The land was very dry. The land was very tough. They had to be exhausted by the time they got to Bethany. Bethany is located in Jerusalem and is the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus had only raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, an action that prompted the chief priests and Pharisees to plot Jesus' death. It was in Bethany that Mary anointed the feet Jesus' feet with expensive perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. When Judas criticized her for using the expensive ointment in this way, Jesus defended her, saying, She has kept this for the day of my burial. In John 12, it stressed, She has kept this for the day of my burial. Bethany not only had a purpose for Jesus, but it had a familiarity. Jesus knew what was coming. Beloved, imagine the creator of the universe humbling himself. Our great God who created the galaxies and the solar systems and each one of you. This is a God who loves life. He humbles himself to ride into the city to fulfill his promise. That's amazing to me. Think about it. God didn't need any of our approval. He didn't need anyone's approval. He didn't need to bow to anyone, but he did. Instead of coming to, as a conquering king, which he could have done, he came as a humble servant, a servant to all of us. Rather than riding a great white charger or coming in in a flurry of a chariot and his stature showing that, that he could be so much, And he is so much and deserved so much. He came as a lowly servant. His love for humanity humbled him. 
He loved the world so much, so much, that he left the splendor of heaven to be born in a stable. He loved the world so much. He laid aside his crown to serve those he loved. He loved the world so much that the crown wasn't existing to him. It was about even the people who spotted him, who jeered him, who yelled crucify him. That's how much he loves each one of you, each one of us. He loves the world so much that he willingly went to the cross. Make no mistake about it, Jesus was the king. Jesus was and is the creator of this universe and all creation. That's so easy to see. The Bible said the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. That's Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. Think about that for just a second. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. As we celebrate today, first because Jesus is the king of kings, the great creator, God who came to earth, not to conquer it, but to save it. Secondly, we come to celebrate because the Savior has come to save his people. It's incredible to me that here is the creator of the earth, and he humbled himself for each one of us to die for our sins, to die for us. The Bible says in Colossians 1 through 116, It says in Colossians 1, verse 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. It's so incredible that we have such a great creator. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish. But will have everlasting life. Jesus wants people to carry out tasks on his behalf. Sometimes we're asked to do what seems strange. Uncomfortable. Even awkward. But Jesus has already prepared the hearts of everyone we are to minister to. He's prepared their hearts. He's prepared their minds. Just as he did with the donkey, the owners of the donkey. He prepared them knowing that the two men he sent were going to go and take this colt. As I said, that could have been stealing. That was stealing. That was theft. They could have been hung. They could have been stoned to death. But their response was perfect. It's exactly what Jesus had planned and told them to do. The Lord needs it, and he'll bring it back shortly. 
That was their response. The Lord needs it, and he'll send it back shortly. And they let him go. They could have stoned him. They could have hung him. They could have killed them. But Jesus prepared their hearts and minds. Jesus prepared the way. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus wants us to be willing people to carry out the tasks on his behalf. In today's verse, we clearly see how people saw God and were willing to follow him and shout praises to him. Normally we share our God sightings at the very beginning of service. Today I kind of switched it up on you. I wanted you to understand that the people had God sightings. They saw Jesus. The celebration was because they knew he was the king of kings. They thought he was coming to have a great battle and complete the war and take over. But they saw the king of kings. They were looking for a savior. They were looking for a purpose. So today, I think the, where do we leave the mic? Okay, Tom has the mic. Today, I'd like you to share your, now, share your God sightings. Where did you see God this week? What have you seen his hand on in your life this week? It's on, honey. (laughs) So if you have a God sighting, if you don't need the microphone, just stand up and and share your story. God sightings are everywhere. I had the opportunity to, to share with a young girl whose mom had passed away at 16. She'd been on her own. And... She's a security guard at the hotel, and they don't consider her part of the hotel, but she works for the security thing. Her boss is not a very nice person, so she allowed me to pray with her for it. We prayed for her boss. We prayed for her. We prayed for those around her, and then we sat and we talked, and it goes back to what Tom was sharing. They love God. They love the Lord. They're passionate. They celebrate him. And they celebrate him in their lives. It is so cool to watch. And then we come home and I had another opportunity to share Christ with somebody and they just looked at me and said, I don't need any of that. And my heart broke. Because we just left what they consider a very poor country that is so much more rich than we could ever be because they celebrate their life in Christ. They boldly go out and talk about Jesus. They're not ashamed. They're not afraid. They love the Lord. It kind of reminded me of of our Bible verse today. They're out celebrating him every single day. They wake up and they say, thank you, God. They go to meetings and they say, thank you, God. They go to lunch and they say, thank you, God. Do we do that? I 
How clear is it from events like this that Jesus was omniscient? He knew in advance the difficulties that they would encounter. And he gives us the words to speak. He not only prepares the hearts of those we're ministering to, but he prepares us to deliver his message with clarity and boldness. The people of Jamaica delivered the message with clarity and boldness. Jesus put his plans and people in motion before we even realize it, just as he did with the cult. How many times have you heard people say, or maybe even you yourself have said, well, God let me down. Why didn't he cure that? Why didn't he fix that? Why didn't he heal that? Why didn't he do it my way? I had a great plan. Why did he allow that? Why did he let me do that? You notice how we always blame God? Why did he? Why did he not? It's always so much easier to point to him and say it's his fault than it is to point to ourselves and say it's our fault. Some of us then, just like some of us now, want Jesus on our terms, our conditions. And when he doesn't respond the way we want him to, the way we think he should, the way we have it planned, we turn our backs on him. We might not say, oh, I'm done with you, God. But we certainly walk away and walk our own path. We'll say, I'll talk to you later. I got this handled. I got it covered. We walk away. Let me tell you, beloved, God does not work on our timetable. He does not work on our terms. We can't demand and tell God what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. We can try all we want, but it's not going to get us anywhere. We must choose to participate in God's plan, even if we feel the task is beyond us, beyond our capabilities, beyond our comprehension, even if it's something we just can't see the end of, or if the consequences seem too severe or too difficult to bear. As a disciple of Jesus, when you're questioned, are you ready, willing, and able to answer? This week, I want you to take time to reflect not only on what Jesus did for each of us, but how we respond. When you're at work or in the public area, are your actions shouting, Hosanna in the highest? Or are you shouting, Amen? Or are you shouting, Crucify Him? Maybe not in words, but maybe in your actions or your lack of actions. And then we're going to play a song. I don't even want Aaron to come up and sing this one. But while we play this next song, I want you guys to think about it. Sit there, just reflect. If you want to come up and pray, there are several of us that will come pray with you. If you want to come up and ask questions, Feel free to do that.
But think about what are you portraying? Are you shouting Hosanna in the highest? Or are you shouting crucify him? Or are you not shouting? Are you just being silent? Beloved, we can't be silent. We must be shouting the joy and the glory of the Lord. This week coming up is so crucial. This is where you can reach out to your neighbors. You can reach out to your friends. People that don't have a relationship with Christ or don't know him or their relationship is it's not real firm. Invite them to church. Let them hear about our Lord and Savior. Please don't let this opportunity pass by. We don't have time to waste. You hear it on the news all the time. Things are sad. We're in a really sad state. We must bring Jesus back. Jesus came back for us. Jesus set the ball in motion for us. Jesus is who we should be celebrating. Not the promotion you got at work or not the the wonderful job you did on this. You don't pat your back, pat his. Pronounce him to everybody. Let them know what Jesus did. Because I guarantee you, none of us could go and tell two men, go get a colt that's never been ridden and bring him back. And nobody's going to slight you for it. Nobody's going to put you in jail. Nobody's going to beat you to death. Nobody's going to harm you. Do as I say, and it'll be okay. Only Jesus has that command. Only Jesus has that power. Only Jesus has that authority. You have to let him have authority in your life. You have to. Time is too short to waste. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to learn your word, and to be a part of your world. The very hands that created us are the very hands that pick us up when we fall, love us when we're scared, comfort us when we're hurting. Father God, we just thank you that we know that you are there for us, that you love us with every ounce of your being. We know we don't deserve it, but Father, thank you. We just thank you. Father, I ask you to just move in the lives of the people that are around us, move in our lives so that we can be a light to you, so that we can share you with them. Father, we know that time is short, but we're working on your timetable. We thank you for the opportunity to, to share you, to love you, and to be a part of your life. We just thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name.